Hi, I'm Nate. I'm Noah. And welcome to another chat episode of Talking Lion. And we are we are talking about this book, The Gambler's Guide to the Music Industry. Another chapter. Another chapter. This is the chapter, Noah, I think I'm the most nervous about. I think that if I can't get this chapter right, uh, I should probably just not write the book. I mean, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's an unnecessary amount of pressure to yeah. put on myself. This is how I write, by the way. That's, I mean, hey, whatever helps. Whatever. It's the process. It's the process. It's all writing. Uh, for those new to this, I'm writing a book um, about uh, gambling in the music industry. And this section is about how we're going to talk about value, but also how you can think about the different value systems within the industry. So I think we should just dive in. Yeah. See what, what comes. So, without further ado, this is The Gambler's Guide to the Music Industry. Part 3, Value Systems. Since this book focuses on the economics of the very intangible and subjective area of music, it's important to get a clear understanding of the various value propositions present within any decision you might make. But before we dive into that, there's one thing we need to get straight first. Privilege. Like most people, I wish the world was fair and that the best songs and artists rose to the top. But we're not existing and creating in a vacuum. We exist at the mercy of capitalism and a body that needs to be fed and sheltered at a price. This industry and the world at large also doesn't exist without decades or even centuries of context. Racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, for countless people, this industry has been and still is extremely exclusionary and even hostile. Additionally, in an industry so steeped in gambling and nepotism, advantages or disadvantages present in past generations will have a direct impact on how easy this industry might feel. Writing a book on the economics of the music industry without acknowledging the effects of privilege is like writing about gardening without talking about the weather. As covered extensively in Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, the lottery of your birth, socioeconomics, year, location, race, gender, orientation, etc., can have an extreme impact on how lucky you might wind up being throughout your life and career. Chaos theory dictates that even the smallest variable advantage or disadvantage can have far-reaching and unpredictable consequences. Likewise, whether you're making music or managing a creator, there's a significant span of free time needed to hone that craft, finish music, form a team, and build a career. Someone who comes from means might not think twice about the challenges of this time. Their parents, or even their own trust funds, cover their personal expenses, production costs, marketing, etc., while they can focus all their time and energy on their musical journeys. But for someone without those advantages, this time, and potentially time later on, can be a constant struggle of balancing music with minimum wage, nine-to-five jobs, or all-hour freelance gigs. Decisions can't exist in the music vacuum. Often, they'll have to weigh marketing or production decisions against basic survival decisions like rent or food. Of course, privilege is never as cut and dry as simple economics. Having a lawyer uncle who can read contracts and save you on early legal fees can make a huge difference. Going to music school, even if your parents spent your whole life saving up for it, can make a huge difference. Privileges can be as wide-reaching as centuries of context, as existential as who you are, and as random as the street you grew up on. Advantages and disadvantages can be found around any corner and evolve constantly. Regardless, as any poker player will tell you, playing deep stack and shallow stack requires very different approaches. 
For example, when we talk about opportunity cost, the ability to decline an offer to wait for a better paying opportunity might run up against the very urgent need to buy groceries this week. In that respect, this book makes an assumption of risk that the decisions you'll be facing will have real financial consequences for you and your team. With that said, if you arrived at this book with a certain level of privilege, this book can still be for you. Just acknowledge the privilege and figure out what is valuable to you. Maybe that means focusing more on sentimental values or even helping others that might not come from the same advantage background, potentially adding to their advantage. We'll touch on all of this more in later sections, but since this book is intended to help guide your gambling, it's important to know what your starting risk is and how it plays into the overarching question of what you ultimately want from this music game. And now, value systems. I present to you my attempt at quantifying the various dynamic and amorphic value systems present in the music industry. Real value. How much is something worth? Fees, sales. Expected value. How much something can potentially be worth? Projections, bonuses, plans. Unexpected value. Unpredictable related worth. Tangential, unplanned. Opportunity value. Worth of time, resources, or choices. Costs, delegations. Complementary value. Non-financial benefits of worth. Sponsors, barters, clout. Sentimental value. Worth on a personal level. Wants, dreams. I'll give you an example of each system with this premise. You've been hired to bake a cake for $100. Real value. You have been hired to bake a cake for $100. What they are paying for the cake. So you have a real value of $100. Expected value. Say you know this person has another celebration coming up next month. So there's a reasonable expectation of at least one more future cake if you take this one on. There's a expected value of $100. Unexpected value. Total randomness. Maybe you have a roommate who asks you to make a cupcake from the extra batter for $10. Or you find a $10 bill on the supermarket floor while buying ingredients. Unexpected value, $10. Opportunity value. Say the ingredients cost $30 and you take a day off from your $120 a day job and you turn down a $200 one-off baking job because you already committed to this one. You have an opportunity value of negative $350. Complimentary value. Say this person knows the tour manager for a hot ticket act and is also able to throw in a free $200 ticket for baking the cake. And they promise to pick you up from the airport, saving you $50 on Uber slash Lyft. There's a complimentary value of $250. Sentimental value. This person is your best friend and it's for their wedding. So in this example, you theoretically net a positive of $110, $460 minus the $350 of the opportunity. Though short-term, you'd find yourself with only $70 after the ingredients. A concert ticket, promises of more celebrations, and an airport pickup, and a costly day off from work. Yet the overall positive expectation would potentially make it worthwhile in the long run. And above the financials, a strong enough sentimental value proposition, like this milestone celebration for your friend, might outweigh all other factors if the losses can be afforded. Understanding the dynamics of these value systems might provide a clarity for certain decisions presented to you. Do you take a big fee or gamble on a song's master points? Real value versus expected value. Do you take a week off to play a show five states away just because it's your hometown? Opportunity value versus sentimental value. Do you barter with someone that you'll compose a free film score in return for them to direct 
a music video that honors your late friend. Complementary value versus sentimental value. Sometimes these values work together. Other times they're polar opposites to be negotiated. Sometimes one component can be composed on multiple values. For example, if a label gives you a fee to produce your sibling's song with projection of millions of streams, there's a real value, expected value, and sentimental value tied into one aspect of the project. Just to make sure we're absolutely clear, let's break them down even further. Real value. Real value is pure economics, the exchanging of goods and services. If someone offers you a fee to produce a song, that fee is the real value. If as a manager, you ask for a monthly stipend instead of a commission, you're asking for real value. If you take a guarantee on ticket sales for a show, that's real value. Real value takes the initial gamble out of the equation. You know how much you're going to make at minimum, if not at maximum, on a project and can prioritize your time and energy accordingly. This is money in your pocket now for your immediate needs. Real value can also be a good litmus test for how perceivably value your business is. If someone is willing to part with genuine cash, it means they believe you're worth what they're giving you. While the immediacy of real value is valuable unto itself, the classic bird in the hand aphorism, there is still a gamble when taking real value over equity. Maybe a $3,000 check this week sounds nice, but what if 10% of a song winds up being worth $300,000 down the line? Expected value. Expected value is where the gambling comes in. This is value that exists in hypotheticals and gut feelings. Expected value often manifests as equity, taking a percentage of a song's composition, publishing, and or master. Much of this book will handle the dynamic relationship between real value and expected value. When to take the bird in the hand and when to trust the two in the bush. Expected value is a way for your clients and collaborators to hedge their bets on working with you. After all, when you share in the failure or success of the song, your patron has greater protection from the net loss than if you were to take a fee. There's a major reliance on luck in expected value, since much of it is based on the nebulous idea of success or virality. That doesn't mean your odds are completely unknown to you. If given the choice between $500 real value or 20% of the song expected value, and you see an artist averages 100,000 streams per song, say on Spotify at a rate of $0.003 per stream, you have a better idea of which would be more valuable to you, $500 or 100,000 times $0.003, which is equal to $300. So 20% of $300 is $60. $500 is greater than $60. That expectation of $60 can be used to help guide your decision-making. Expected value needs to have some sort of logical backing to it, whether that's an artist's track record or their own plan. Likewise, if you are deciding between expected value and real value, the expected value should be slightly more than the real value to compensate for the time dilation. Of course, there's always, always the chance any song you work on could become a massive hit. See also unexpected value. So if you can afford a lower fee and don't want to miss out on having a piece of a hit, it's worth asking for a blended deal of fees and equity. Unexpected value. The music industry is an extremely unpredictable place. We often say every action has an unequal chaotic reaction, since tremendous effort might barely nudge the needle, while half-assed accidents might have career-making effects. Unexpected value is everything you couldn't have imagined as an outcome of your decision. It's how the whole thing shakes out ultimately. A good mainstream example would be the recent trend of new artists interpolating or sampling more legacy acts without their knowledge. In 2008, when Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross released the Nine Inch Nails song 34 Ghosts 4, I don't think they factored in a kid from Georgia, Little Nas X, sampling it a decade later in 2018 and having the subsequent Old Town Road stay number one on the charts for 17 weeks and win two Grammys. 
Same could be said for Paramore's 2007 hit, Misery Business, vis-a-vis Olivia Rodrigo's Good For You, which earned songwriters Haley Williams and Josh Farrow between $1.2 million and $2 million, according to Variety. On a smaller scale, unexpected value can cover everything from virality to the discovery that your song is doing extremely well in a specific UK cafe chain. In an industry with hundreds of income streams and thousands of financially interested parties, it's impossible to take into account every potential outcome a song or decision might have. On that note, there is a creativity, dare I say discipline, in the distinction between expected value and unexpected value. If you average $300 in streaming royalties for a song and get $3,000 due to a TikTok bump, that would be $300 in expected value and $2,700 in unexpected value. You can't expect virality or good fortune any more than you can expect to get pocket aces on every hand you play. You might see yourself or other people going viral with regularity, but in truth, they've cultivated a fan base capable of creating consistent buzz with each release, thus creating an expected value for themselves. Luck can be replaced by a plan and a following, but true luck can't be controlled. Should you make a plan for what you'll do in the event you get lucky? Absolutely. Should you build your budget and lifestyle around it? Please don't. (laughs) Opportunity value. Opportunity value starts her descent into the world of intangibility. Whereas real value, expected value, and unexpected value all ultimately wind up with dollars in your bank account, opportunity value deals in the abstract of saving and alternative choices. Opportunity value is the calculation of how much you save by way of time and resources by making a certain decision. Calculating this ineffable value can range from very basic payment comparisons to a much more complicated kind of introspection central to many zero-sum decisions. In the next chapter, I'll go more in depth on how opportunity value applies to calculating your hourly rate, hiring your team, prioritizing projects, and how it might even relate to ordering food online. For now, to understand it as a value system, let's consider a simple comparison example. Two people need a song written and finished today, and you only have time to do one. Person A offers 750, while person B offers 1,000. If you commit to person A's offer first, thus unable to take on person B's offer, you have an opportunity value of negative $250. Complementary value. Complementary value, while not directly financial, can help you save money in lieu of earning money. Complementary value, I'll shorten it to comp value, can be physical, digital items, tickets, covered expenses like transportation or lodging, barters, or, and I hate to say it, the all-too-cliche exposure. See also clout. Say, for example, you're offered a show in another country that doesn't have a performance fee, but offers to cover plane tickets, $800, and your hotel, $1,000. That would total a comp value of $1,800, even though the show has a $0 real value. When someone offers you something for exposure, file that right under comp value. It's become a cliche how often artists have been taken advantage of in the name of exposure. It saved venues, labels, ad agencies, etc. countless dollars by letting them offer artists a chance to get more ears on their music rather than actual money. See also real value. But if you play it right, there can be value in gaining clout, though that shouldn't soften you from negotiating for real value as well. Nowadays, brand agencies, PR companies, and social media experts can charge thousands to boost your perceived fame. And there is a translatable value in boosting those numbers. What can more followers on Instagram, TikTok, or Spotify get you? Sponsorships, which is a comp value for free products and or real value in brand deals. Collaborators through verification and legitimacy, which is a sentimental value, but it also makes it easier to reach out to larger artists, which could have an unexpected value. Shows, venues might consider you a safer bet. 
a higher chance of virality, which can lead to an increase in streaming and an increase in your expected value. Spotify-specific, more release day listeners. Your new songs will populate release radar playlists of all your followers. So exposure could provide some beneficial value and save you on the gamble of the aforementioned branding options. More on them later. Last thing to keep in mind when it comes to complementary value. Taxes. <laughs> what you earn is subject to whatever your federal, state, and or international tax rate may be. So say you earn $1,000 in royalties. A note, a pause here. Uh, I don't have the actual numbers filled in. I got to get those numbers in. But for now, let's, I'm just going to use round numbers. So say you earn $1,000 in royalties, which are taxed at, say, 15%. You'd really be earning $185 after taxes. So you technically need to earn $1,000 to buy a plane ticket for $850. Mm -hmm. But say instead you get $850 in complimentary flights from a company you're collaborating with. You've technically gotten more value as a comp value than if the company paid you that same amount directly and you later bought an $850 flight. Footnote. Of course, I'm not an accountant, so the specifics of what comps need to be reported and your specific tax situation are between you and your accountant. This is not financial advice. The ins and outs of this should be talked about with your accountant. This is just a theoretical understanding of the benefits of saving money on an expected purchase in lieu of earning money. It should also be noted, you don't save anything if you weren't going to get it in the first place. <laughs> Sentimental value. Sentimental value is both the simplest and most complicated value system of them all. That's because it makes perfect sense to you. It, and it could also make absolutely no discernible economic sense. By the end of this book, you'll have the tools to figure out exactly why purchasing a $10,000 billboard ad might be a bad decision. What this book can't tell you is how your recent breakup might also affect that decision. Sentimental value is pure chaos, irrational, reckless, emotional, spontaneous, and immeasurable. But sentimental value is also most likely why we started this in the first place because we loved it. Before there was money, business, and the value math those inspire. There was a love of music, love of artists, love of the game. Sentimental value doesn't have a dollar value, though it might cost you. Sentimental value is measured by how it fits into your life. Playing a small show in your hometown so your family can see you, collaborating with an unknown artist, hiring a more expensive freelancer over a company, or turning down a tour to stay home with your puppy. These are all examples of many of the ways in which Life, morality, and love might supersede the financial component of your decisions. While most of the other aforementioned values, save for opportunity value, can be deemed a success by how much money you earn or save, sentimental value is purely yours to determine. What are your dreams? What are your goals? Do you like your career? Do you have enough free time? Have you found validation? Have you done the right thing? Is this what you want? While money is absolutely important, tough to be sentimental when you need to eat, let me be the first to say sentimental value must not be overlooked. Being true to your needs, doing right by the people around you, and creating the art you're passionate about can have a huge impact on surviving this industry long term. This whole thing is a frustrating and heartbreaking marathon. Staying in the game is as much about the inner head game as it is about the bottom line. While building a community, taking vacations, or fulfilling tangential goals might not make the most financial sense, it could wind up being the thing that keeps you in the game the thing that leads you towards your best music or closest collaborators, and it might even save your life. We often say, if you don't take a break, a break takes you. So now that we have our value systems in place, the big question comes, how do I prioritize a value system? Well, that comes down to your personal goals. 
whether it's money, power, fame, or friendship, what drives you and me will invariably be different. To figure out which systems prioritize in your decision-making, we can follow each value system's long-term goals towards their thematic conclusions. Long-term goals. Real value. Purely economical. Earning the most money you can get in the moment. Take the fees over equity. Expected value. Development. Working with people or projects you believe have tremendous potential. Take the equity over fees. Unexpected value. Quality of chances. Working on many different projects or even different disciplines or mediums with many different people to maximize the chance of something catching. Take whatever you can find. Opportunity value. Quality of resources. Building a team around efficiency to optimize your time and resources. Take what's worthwhile. Complementary value. Influencer lifestyle. All expenses paid, clout, freebies. Take savings over earnings. Sentimental value. Enjoying your life. Making art you like or finding something more fulfilling. For example, teaching. Take it easy. Most players will find their goals aligned with all of these various value systems. After all, the real success is in the way you balance these systems while pursuing your goals. So here's a little exercise. One, make a list of these value systems and put them in order of most important to least important to you. It's okay if some tie. Two, for each value system, write down some of your long-term goals as they apply to you. For example, record a song with my dad under sentimental value or fly to London under comp value. If you're currently in the middle or just starting or finishing some projects, analyze which value systems played into your decision to take each project on. This exercise will hopefully give you a better understanding of how these value systems can apply specifically to your work, your goals, and your priorities. It may also show you how intertwined many of these value systems can be and the importance of finding and balancing multiple systems within a given project or decision. And that's the chapter. Okay, question number one. Did that make any sense? Yeah. No, I, I, it was, it's ironic because like this is a chapter you asked me to give the most kind of criticism on, but I feel like this is the chapter I've had the hardest time finding criticism to give on. I felt like it was really solid. I, I'm relieved. <laughs> this obviously is like the thing that feels the most like original to this. Yeah. Because it's trying to... I mean, it's trying to put so much stuff into like neat boxes. Yeah, which is inherently difficult. But I think given that challenge, it's 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 really like partway through, like midway through the cake example, I was like, I have a few more questions about this. And then by the end of it, I was like, okay, you answer all my questions about this. Like, <laughs> I feel like I had like by the end of the chapter, I feel like I had a good like I don't have any further questions about what these each of these boxes are. And And of course, it's like anything else. It's like these boxes are less formal. Right. And a lot more. To, to create a way of talking about talking it. about yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. For, for for you personally, I think like, does that come out? Like, yeah, does that? definitely. Because it doesn't matter if you put something in expected value or unexpected value. Like the difference between those things. And I was like, I was running into this all the time, which is like, okay, a sync license, for example. Is that real value? I mean, right. technically they, they're writing you a check. Is it expected value if you know that you might get at least one sink? Is it unexpected? Like, yeah. it is a question, but I think the question comes with a discipline and is more about, about like, how that leads into the decision-making process. Yeah, definitely. Like, if you are going to a writing camp to write for sync and nobody in the writing camp 
has gotten a sink. Right. You have a zero dollar expected value. Right, exactly. But if you know that somebody has gotten something, you know the sort of range that it's had too. And also these are not hard values. These are range values. It's just sort of understanding how these all kind of can play into and what's important to you. I think you and I have prioritized expected value. Yeah, definitely. And development oftentimes over fees. Yeah, I mean, I find myself obviously prioritizing sentimental value more uh, that like the my, my finances are taken care of. Like, that tends to be the, the the journey for a lot of people. And also kind of like what, you know, I tried to cover in like the privilege. Yeah, section. definitely. Were you finding as you were listening to it, like that you were relating different value systems to what you're working on now? Um, not so much. I mean, I think I was mostly just trying to like get a handle on what the what the labels were. But I feel like I liked the the exercise at the end. I feel like that like that opens it up really nicely for people to do that. And to, yeah, to, I think or maybe ho- hopefully organize the like organize where these sort of systems are. Yeah. And it's not super important, like I said, for it to be super formalized. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's a fluid. It's always fluid. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like that'll, that's kind of will be the rest of the book in a lot of ways is like talking through the edge cases and uh, clarifying a lot of the, the, the gray areas, basically. Well, I loved, there's this book called Mixer Man. And mm-hmm. in it, he, I love this. Like I, re- I read this a couple of years ago, but like he referred to, like he, there was the band that he was working with. Like the book is about he's working with this terrible band, and it's right. apparently based on a true story. But the band was fighting over percentage points for a record that, and they were like an, a relatively unknown band, or like they were a band that was about to launch or something. Mm-hmm. So the band like got into a huge, huge fight over like over splits, like while they were recording the record, and Mixer Man thought it was like ridiculous because he, and as he put it, they were fighting over monopoly money. Right. And so I think that what was, you know, that was, and maybe that's just been sticking in my head for a while, but trying to like parse the difference between money, monopoly money, right? you know, time, time, time and resources, is money. time yeah. is money, right, you know, exactly. and, and, but also sentimental value, mm-hmm. you know, that like, cause they are all related, like, and you can draw a line through them, you know, Real value, if you are lacking it, means that you are stressing out about rent and you're hungry. That's a pretty strong sentimental. Right, exactly. You know, dig. But similarly, too, you know, that like lacking a grasp on opportunity value could mean taking the wrong fee, not knowing how much your time is worth, which yeah. would mean it's a it's affecting your real value. Yeah, definitely. And also affecting your sentimental value again because you're feeling stressed out and tired yeah because you're working you know working all these hours when you could be optimizing it so but yeah i think that like that that being said that's why i really liked the cake example because i feel like it was it was very it was a nice way of like kind of proving your point i mean like yeah i've 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 created these labels for different systems of value let me just give you like a like a super simple example of like what this can mean and then I like how you relate it later to like stuff in in music and I, I'm I was very nervous about doing yeah. the cake example, so I'm glad you liked the cake. No, example. honestly, yeah, <laughs> I just thought it was really strong. Um, I also felt that like if there was a music example, it would be almost too close to home for anybody yeah. to understand it. Yeah, you get I, lost in how much it, how much money it was. Yeah, if exactly. I said, oh, somebody offered you five hundred dollars for a song, somebody's like, that's a lot of money, and somebody else could read it. Like, right, that's exactly. A bit of money. I know. I think that's really smart. I think. I think. Yeah. I think having it be. I mean, I guess if you're 
Oh, I don't know why you'd be reading this book if you're a baker, but yeah. I think that's the idea. Yeah, somebody, who, somebody who's paid to be a baker, they're like, I actually disagree with that. Uh, yeah, it's like, yeah. They're going to have to read the sequel, The Gambler's Guide to Baking. Yeah, <laughs> The Great Gambling Bake Off. <laughs> gambling Bake Off. Well, I think I think what's, what's also nice about it is it like, it's obviously using a lot of music examples, but I feel like... Well, there's, I'm, you know, film has its own quirks and I'm sure visual art has its own quirks, but I'm sure that there's, there's, there would be, and especially at least in this chapter, especially there's value in understanding value systems and how they break down to any person. Like, I mean, especially creative people, but not even, even people working corporate jobs. Like, well, cause yeah, I guess, you know, people, one of the things that like I've been realizing as like my partner has a corporate job. And in, in making friends with like people more in startup culture and stuff yeah. like that is that, I mean, they're having to decide between salary and healthcare right. and equity in the company maybe and how all those play into each other. And also, you know, do how much work do they want to be doing? Yeah. You know, do they want to be making as much money as possible but having very little free time? You know, or do they want to be working all these hours but not being able to focus on their extracurriculars? Yeah. And that's why I felt like it was important to do the long term. Mm-hmm. What what it meant to like follow each one thematically long term, even though it was like a little bit reductive, like yeah. understanding that real value is economics, whereas expected value is more development. And like investment. And investment. But then of course, as you get into comp value, that's influencer lifestyles. Right. Of course. You know, it's going to all of these events and, you know, having people sending you designer clothing for free. But yeah, I mean, even our podcast, I've, I've said it before, I'll say it again, this podcast, like, for, if you just look at purely economically, loses money. Right. Like, we pay for the artwork, we pay for the hosting, we pay now an editor, mm-hmm. Mason. Um, each episode loses money because we're not doing third-party ads, we stopped the Patreon you know, we're not with a network, we're an independent podcast. There's no monetization system like directly on Spotify or right. other places for podcasts. The podcast earns no money and it and it loses money. From a real value perspective, our podcast is a bad decision. But between Isotope sponsoring the podcast, which we save in software on a comp value. Yeah. Which is not it's, it's which is not negligible. It's could be it's you know, it's thousands yeah. ultimately. And the various sponsorships between, you know, the Truffleist and New mm-hmm. Wave and Jägermeister, all the sponsors we've had over time. And then on top of that, like the artists that we've met through this podcast yeah. and how that's led to songs that have come out, songs that have done well, which is that expected value a little bit. Like when I look up, you know, when we look up an artist, we know that they're doing well. And if we write with them, we know maybe how well the song will do. So maybe there's an expected value of being yeah. able to figure out, is this person a good bet? But also there's the unexpected value of sometimes we just like, you know, sometimes we just accidentally work with yeah. people. And and then of course, I mean, this show is sentimental value. Right. It is sure. a passion project for us. Yeah, exactly. So, but there is an opportunity cost and the opportunity cost is how much this show costs, how long it takes for us to edit it, how right. long it takes for us to record it. Right. Especially when we are actually getting paid for other projects. Right. You know? So, again, it's just these ways of thinking about it. Because if you just took it as the opportunity cost versus real value, yeah. it would be a big negative against 
zero. And I think it's nice to have a lot of different markers versus just like, I feel like in my brain, my loose kind of understanding of, of this general concept, there's there's like the nebulous idea of opportunity cost. There's the general idea of real money versus investment and like this big blob of what is I kind of think of as intangible value, which like kind of encompasses a couple of them, but it's nice to have a, a clearer breakdown. I think that there's a lot of utility in that. I mean, I think that the big challenge was like limiting it to six when it could have been 15 mm. or 20 yeah, and, definitely. I, and, and on the converse, not having it be like two or three, yeah, like having it be broad, but not too broad. Definitely. You know, um, I remember the, this is only slightly related, but I think, I think it gets at part of the challenge of doing this is like in the IB program, there's a, there's a, a class called theory of knowledge, which is like, you know, epistemology for high school students. And in the IB has a formalized system within their, like rhetoric of what are the ways in which humans can attain knowledge. And there were like six or seven ways of knowing that you study, like ways of, of obtaining knowledge. But I remember a couple of years later, I saw that they had revised the the book. They had revised the syllabus and there were new ways of knowing. Now that doesn't mean that there were, <laughs> that doesn't mean that humans had all of a sudden invented new ways of knowing information. It's that the IB decided that there, that like, I think it was intuition was like worthy of its own category, sure. you know? And it's like, I, it's, you know, this could definitely be an evolving thing where like a year from now in the second edition of the book or whatever, you could be like, well, actually, I think that maybe this could be revised or this goalpost subcategory. subcategory could get like refined. I think well, that's just and, the challenge and, uh, of making categories and something like this. The next chapter is going to be on defining opportunity cost, mm. because in order to understand that, you need to understand your out how to figure out what your hourly is, you know, right. trying to figure out what that actual thing is. So, right. um, you know, but, but also similarly, yeah, like it evolved, maybe it'll evolve, maybe it'll grow or shrink or whatever. I also do feel like a lot of these concepts are covered in gambling books and in economics right. books, but, and that's why like, you know, the word I used was expected value mm. because expectation is, is an actual term used in gambling. Right. Um, but like maybe I'll wind up, I mean, I've already revised these terms like a hundred different right. times. Like originally complementary value was going to be called trade value. Right. But then that felt weird because it's oftentimes, sometimes it's not trading. Sometimes it is literally a, a comp. Right. Something is comped for you. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, just sort of going back and forth about what to call these even was like, strange but yeah i think ultimately what i hope people can get out of it is just understanding because you're right we've we have both had this sort of nebulous idea yeah of what something is worth or what something isn't worth um to us and and again that like sentimental value does trump all mm -hmm. how all of these play into sentimental value isn't can't be avoided right. you know but ultimately it does that is the reason why why we do what we do. Yeah. So, you know. And that's the, the for lack of a better term, the value proposition of this book. Yeah. Is how do you get your sentimental value? Yeah. And how do you define some of these more nebulous things? Exactly. Uh, oh, I'm glad you liked it. I'm yeah, no, it. I really liked it. I'm glad I don't have to throw out this book and never hear <laughs> yeah, it again. No, exactly. Yeah. Um, for what it's worth, I wrote like a good chunk of it on the plane, mm. just exhausted. So I was like nervous that even there was, I mean, there were some typos, but you know, <laughs> you don't know that <laughs> listening <laughs> public. Yeah. That's funny. Do you have any questions, sort of, or anything that maybe I can address better? Did the privilege section make sense? 
Yeah, I, I I was thinking about that. I I think it was handled pretty well. Nothing like no like you know alarm bells went off in my brain as I was reading it. Um, I think it's a delicate subject and like you know maybe you know worth continuously taking a look at as you're as you're writing the book just because and running it by people and running it by people yeah who have been affected yeah more prominently than i have yeah i think that that was gonna be one my my one thought is like yeah run it by some some other perspectives and just see and like kind of really stress test it Mm -hmm. but um at least to to my marginally privileged perspective it 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 felt like it was handled with care Um, and does this feel like something like this chapter feel like something that if you had it I mean, this is a leading question for sure, but like if you if you had it, maybe you'd be thinking about it when you get your next decision, like you know, referencing these these um, categories of thinking. Yeah, no, definitely. All right, that's good enough for me, yeah. man. <laughs> that's good. That's that. That's enough for me to you know to figure it out. And also, I mean, God, if anybody is listening to this and you have questions or you think that there's something confusing, please DM us. Let let us know. This is a this is we are working this out together. Yeah. And this is a work in progress. This is this is the not even the first draft. This is the vomit pass. Yeah, exactly. So, like you are guy like you are getting this, you know, less than 24 hours after <laughs> writing it. I I haven't looked over it before reading it. You you're hearing it for the first time. Yeah, exactly. So seriously, like if if this is for you, listeners. So if if something isn't making sense, or if you don't feel seen in this, please DM us your notes. Um, or you know, if you want to just like DM us and say, hey, I'm working on this project. How does this fit into your value mm. systems? Then. Okay, I can help you parse through those things, you know. Yeah, definitely. So, um, and that maybe will help me understand like more specific cases. Who knows? Your case study might wind up in the book. Yeah. So, that's I think a, a whole that's the thing. Yeah, I think it's good enough place to stop. Good enough place to stop. I'm sweaty. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very nervous about about all of this. It's crazy that like it's already part of it's out in the world. I almost like I'm like. Nobody listened to this. <laughs> right. Yeah, let me, let me, I should probably go back and edit this, but this won't get done if, if I'm, if it's not in this yeah, context. Like I, if I, if, if I, if I didn't have to write this every two weeks. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's a good, good device to have. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I'm sweaty. <laughs> so thank you everybody for listening. And we'll be taking next week off. I'm going to the Galapagos, which is crazy. That's fun. Yeah, my my grandparents are wild adventurers, and we're gonna be on a on a boat, traveling around for ten days. But it's very exciting. we're taking next week off, but we'll be back the following week with an artist interview. So thank you everybody for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>